welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. Good morning, church. That's great. Good to hear you. I'm bringing the Bible reading this morning. It's fairly long, but always exciting. Uh, the first reading is from 1 John chapter 3. Verses 6 to 24. No one who lives in Jesus keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen Jesus or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does right is righteous, just as Jesus is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them, and they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and their sister. For this reason, the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, that if the world hates you, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer and you know that mo no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and our sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. And, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is the command, to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God, God's commands lives in him, 
and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit that he gave us. Luke 12, 32 to 34. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew six nineteen to 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Luke 10, 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the, in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a certain man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. When he came to the place, he saw the man and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey 
and he brought him to an inn to take care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers, Jesus asked. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Thank you, Tony. Morning, church. We're on a part of a series of discipleship. What is discipleship? And this one we're talking in the context of giving. So I'll allow all the guys in the room just to sit themselves a bit better to make sure their wallet's firmly embedded under their seat and they can't escape. We're talking about giving. Are you excited? Yes. The theme is what is discipleship? We are in this series, uh, the, the theme for this year is follow me. And discipleship it can be described as a number of things. It can be described as learning to obey everything that Jesus commands us to do. And, and it can be described as the process of following another and learning from another. It's got this idea of a journey or a process or a, it's not an instantaneous thing. You don't just, just all of a sudden um, complete it. It's a journey, it's a process. And part of the discipleship journey is learning to obey everything that Jesus commanded us. But the problem with that frame of reference <clears throat> is that it can give us sort of an indication that if we, if we extract from the Bible all the things that Jesus told us to do and we just keep that and we, we say, okay, this is, I'm, I'm going I'm to do all of this and then, then I'll be okay, it's not wrong. But it's like seeing a black and white picture of a Kendone painting. It takes all the life out of it. it. takes all the life out of it. The path of being a disciple of Jesus is a journey of being in relationship with Jesus the Christ, the Saviour and Creator of the world. It's the path of leaving our own old way of life and daily stepping into a new way of life. A life that is marked by hope, a life life that is marked by gentleness, a life that is marked by generosity and forgiveness and compassion and peace and most strikingly of all, love. The disciple is someone who, as it says in Matthew 6.24, is following Jesus. Not one who just has a list of the things Jesus said from an old book like a dot to dot how to get to heaven but someone who is on a journey with an extraordinary person falling in love as we go along if you were here last week brian would have spoken you would have heard brian speak about life in the spirit and the work of the holy spirit if you didn't hear that it's a great message can i encourage you i wasn't here but i listened to the podcast for it 
and, and go onto the website, listen to the podcast. And Brian talked about keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. And when we, when we are saved, when we give our life to Jesus, God gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and as it were, God makes his, his house, his home inside us by his Spirit. And we have an intimacy of communion and relationship with God through his Spirit. And, and that is intricately involved in following Jesus. So we're not just following a list of things to do, but we are following the dynamic revelation of God through by His Spirit in Jesus as we find that in the Scriptures and as the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us. But while the, while the journey of discipleship is transformative and dynamic and vibrant, it's also challenging. It's not a walk in the country. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, If anyone wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. We have to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. There is a cost to following Jesus. And the cost is total. Don't miss the power of these words that Jesus used. Take up your cross. The cross was a visceral, tangible reminder for the people to whom Jesus was speaking of what was a brutal, prolonged, public death. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to have eternal life, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And that's reasonably difficult. And we can look at that and we can think, well, you know, there's, there's probably two ways we can, we can look at that. There might be a number, but there's two for today. One of them we are likely to think about if, if, if our perspective of God is that, well, you know, he's, he's, a bit, he's a bit grumpy and he's not particularly happy with me and uh, he'll let me into heaven, but only if I get it right. And, and uh, you know, this, this, this is all about cost and sacrifice. And, and if we sit in that frame of reference, we're likely to say, well, if I've got to take up my cross, what's the lightest possible cross I could carry? If I have to follow Jesus, what, what is, can I find a more shaded path? You know, one that doesn't have too much of that climbing up hot rocks one that doesn't go through the thorn bristles. What, what is the path I could possibly take that is going to require the least discomfort and sacrifice that I possibly can and still squeeze in? Who's ever heard the thing, the scripture, you know, you cannot love God and money? And you thought, well, really? I mean, you know, I kind of do both. Part of the problem with trying to think, well, what is the lightest possible cross I can carry is that it it sort of comes from a scarcity mentality. And it it comes from a perspective, well, well, really, you know, I've got to sacrifice. I'll sacrifice as little as possible so I can hold on to as much as possible. And I am the center of the picture. My life, my sacrifice, my needs, my money, my enjoyment and and I think we miss 
the point. I think we missed the point. And I think perhaps that's some of what the Pharisee was talking about in this discussion that led to the discussion about the Good Samaritan. And so the Pharisee, the expert in the law says, well, you know, how do I have eternal life? And Jesus said, love, what, 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 are the, what does the Bible say? And he says, the Bible says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbour and yourself. And Jesus says, well done, go to the top of the class, do this and you'll live. And he says, love your neighbour. <clears throat> all right, let's qualify that a bit. Who's my neighbour? Who, who, who are the people that I, I have to love and who are the people that I can ignore? Who are the people that fall outside of the circle? Because surely there's got to be some of them. And, and God, Jesus tells this story of the Good Samaritan. He tells a story, this striking story of a Samaritan. Now this was a story told to a Jewish Pharisee and a Jewish audience and a Samaritan should not have been the hero of the story. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews. And here, he's, Jesus is basically saying, the person who is your neighbour is anyone you come across that is in need. We could then say, well, I've got who my neighbour is. What is love? Well, let's call, see if we can qualify that one because the neighbour thing seems to be a pretty big, big grouping. Let, let's ask the question, well, what is love? You'd think by now we'd have learnt the lesson not to ask these questions. But if we go to 1 John 3, 16 to 24, it says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. I told you you shouldn't have asked the question. If anyone has material possessions and see his brothers or sisters in need but has no pity on them, how can that love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. We see that somehow loving God and loving one another is about turning our life out for the other. It's about serving the other. It's about selling our possessions and being able to give to the poor. It's about a life that is not about us but turned out to other people. This is getting pretty big. I said there were two ways that we could look at this. One of them is, what is the lightest cross I can possibly carry? And as I said, the problem with that is that I and my wants and needs and desires and insecurities is right in the centre of the picture. And I'm trying to think about how might this affect me? But I wonder if what happens if we change what's in the centre of the picture. So if I take myself out of the centre of the picture for just a moment, and I tend not to like that because I like it, life's more comfortable when I'm in the centre of the picture. If I put in the picture the person who gave the command, the person who said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength, this is the God of all majesty and light. He is the creator of all things. He is the one who called to into being a creation where every day begins and ends in sunrise and sunsets. He is the God who created a world that is full of vibrancy and colour and flavour and beauty. He is the God who gave us friendship and marriage and children and mangoes and rainbows. He's the God who gave us oceans and waterfalls, who laid out galaxies so unbelievable we cannot comprehend them. He's the God who made a garden 
before he called humans into being to enjoy it. He is the God who so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. He is the God of whom the scriptures say every true and perfect gift comes from him. He is the author of life. He is the one who says, I came to set you free and if Jesus sets you free, you will be free indeed. He is the one who is reconciling the entire world to himself in Christ and will make all things new. I don't know about you, but that seems to be a better thing to have at the center of the picture than little old me. I did not time, get time to get a picture of it, but have you, seen, have you seen those pictures or videos where you've got a sea turtle or a whale or a seal and they're caught up in the detritus of the ocean? They're either wrapped up in fishing line or a fishing net or they've got plastic strapping around them and, and they're trapped and it's actually cutting into the animal. And this animal that was designed to f- swim freely in the ocean is caught up in the rubbish of life. And they're dying slowly. And sometimes you'll, you'll get someone who'll come along and seek to cut away the bondage, seek to rescue them. And often the animal is scared and frightened and tries to fright off the very process that will set them free. I think that's a bit how it is with God and us. So I think we are deeply constrained and caught up with the rubbish of this world. And I get caught up in things to worry about and to stress about and to get anxious about. And I was designed to swim in the enormous ocean of God's love and mercy and grace. And Jesus says, follow me. And I go, oh yeah, but can I get a light across, thanks, because I'm quite happy with my strapping and my obstacles. In Luke 12, 22 to 34, Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storerooms or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you? than one of these birds who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life since you cannot do this very little thing why do you worry about the rest he talks on about the flowers of the field and not even Solomon was clothed in splendor like that and if God clothes them that are here one day and gone the next how much more will he not clothe you and then there's this beautiful passage it says do not be afraid little flock he's saying this to his people he's saying this to us do not be afraid little flock for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom sell your possessions and give them to the poor provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys for where your treasure is there your heart will also be we were created to be in intimate communion with the creator of all life so a question for us the command to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength and to love our neighbour for yourself, whose benefit do you think it's for? Do you think God 
sort of sitting up there quite lonely and says, I need some friends. I know, I've made these people. I'll tell them, you've got to love me because then I won't be lonely anymore. Do you think he's sitting up there with insecurity, feeling a bit, you know, a bit sad? No, it's for us. God's commands are for us. He says, I created you to be in me. There is no life outside of me. Your hearts were shaped to be connected in intimate communion with mine. The only true joy and happiness and life and fulfillment you will know is in me. Therefore, love me with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. Surrender everything to me and have life. Fear not, little flock, for your Father has seemed pleased to give you the kingdom. So we come to the question of giving. Remember, there are two ways that we can look at this thing of discipleship. We can say, well, how light, uh, how light a, a cross can I carry? How little inconvenience can I have? Or perhaps we can take ourselves out of the frame and see the God who calls us into relationship. Tells us to love him with all our heart and realises we can't. Realises we pretty much suck at it most of the time. And so he says, follow me. Follow me. Walk with me. And if we can see the picture of what God is opening up for us is infinitely more beautiful than that which we may be laying down, then all of a sudden we perhaps stop asking, how light a cross can I have? And we say, Jesus, I'm coming. Jesus, I'm coming. So we go to the question of, of giving. And, and there's a lot of discussion about giving uh, amongst Christians it's, Lots of people say we should give a tithe. A tithe is a tenth of our income. And that comes from an Old Testament concept of the tithe. There are actually three tithes in the Old Testament. One was a, the Levitical tithe, tithe which went to the, the, the priests and to uh, the maintenance of the temple. The other one was the tithe of the first fruits. And that was actually a tithe of the, the first fruits, the produce of the field every year. And that was actually a tithe that was to be collected and then enjoyed and eaten as a celebration where God was worshipped, just recognising and rejoicing that God is the God of all life. That this is a, a, a function of His produce. And it was celebrated and eaten in reverence to God. And then there was another tithe that was collected every three years um, for the poor. And it says the tithe for the poor in Deuteronomy 4, 28 to 29 was collected so that the Levites, who had, they were the priests who had no allotment or inheritance of their own, they didn't have land, their job was to look after the temple, and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied so that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work in your hands. So this tithing concept came from the Old Testament. And some Christians will say, well, that's the Old Testament, we're under the New Testament, we're under the, that's the Old Covenant, we're under the New Covenant, we don't need to tithe anymore and if we do need to tithe you know how much do we need to give what what where are the rules what do I need to comply with I, I want to reframe the question the Bible talks a lot about giving about giving to the poor about generosity about good deeds in 2 Corinthians 9 
6 to 10, we read, Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will be able to abound in every good work. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. It sounds like, do not be afraid little flock for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom, sell your possessions, be unconstrained, give to the poor. In 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19, we read, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, we will lay up for themselves a a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Now, we may think, well, I'm not particularly rich. That's a call to people who are rich. I'd like you to introduce you to a man on the screen. Called, well, for the purpose of this, we'll call it Mr. Chan. Now, Mr. Chan was a gentleman I met in Cambodia about a week and a half ago. And he lives in a very remote part of Cambodia. And uh, Transform Aid International, which is the development arm of the Baptist World Aid has been doing some work with their local partners uh, in that village and uh, Mr Chan had uh, dressed up in his finest for the visit. Um, often, often the ladies will do the same, they'll put on their best clothes. The fact that it's 39 degrees and the best clothes is a polo neck jumper and a jacket and long pants and shoes, um, I'm, I'm melting uh, but you know, they just, they felt like they wanted to honour the occasion. Mr Chan, we got off the bus, it was 39 degrees, and he just wraps us up, each of us individually, in this big bear hug. He can't speak any English. And then we go down, and and that's the hut that he's built, and we we sit down, and we hear his story. And they have no electricity there. In that picture there, he is, he is, um, it's a burner that he has wood and he steams the wood to extract a natural resin out of the wood which he then uses as a natural herbicide and uh, it's Japanese technology that somehow he got and he built this thing um, with bits and pieces and he, and he does that and he provides it not just to himself but to his, his neighbours. And he was telling us about how through the work of TAI he'd learned animal husbandry and how to, how to raise cattle and chickens and all that sort of stuff and he had this heart to be able to uh, give a cow to the poorest person in the village. He'd already given away a pig and uh, in, in he, his heart was to be able to somehow bless out of what he had the people in his village who were the least well off. Now in comparison to us, he had a fraction of our resources and giving a cow away or a pig away was a significant percentage of his capacity. And as we left, 
we prayed for him and we asked, how can we pray for you? Now, he is the only Christian in his village. And his prayer was that he, God would enable he and his family's light to shine. That he would continue to be a witness and a blessing to his community for Jesus' sake. And seeing the orientation of this simple man that embraced us as brothers and sisters of Christ. I understood when I realized he was the only Christian in the village why he was so excited to see us. We never got embraced by anyone else. But here was this man with not a whole lot of stuff. But his life was about following Jesus and being able to give to the poor out of what he had. There are disciplines in the, the Christian walk. Disciplines of prayer, of reading scripture, of fasting, of worship, of rest, of serving and of generosity. And these, these disciplines are things that can help us to orientate our life towards Jesus. There is so much in the world that orientates our lives away from Jesus and these things can help to just lean us into Jesus. I like to think of them as the tethering hooks of a mountain climber because without some hooks to help us hold on, we're likely to slip down the side of the mountain. But disciplines like reading the scripture and prayer and fasting and rest, these things that we are called to do help us to, to cling to Jesus and to walk with Jesus. But in the context of giving, I think giving not just of our money but of our time, of our energy, of our skill, of our heart is a wonderful opportunity to help us to lean into the life that Jesus calls us to. The Bible speaks a lot about giving. It speaks a lot about money. In Matthew 6, 19 to 24, we, we read the words of our Lord and loving Saviour who calls us to follow Him. And He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and thieves destroy. And at the end of it, He said, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And again, we can listen to that and think, oh, come on. We can say this is a God who longs that we would enter into the vibrant, beautiful life that he calls us to. And says, follow me. This is going to entangle you. Pete said I graduated on Thursday, um, and I did. Uh, but the first graduation I ever went to was when I five years ago, and I just started at Kerry. Um, and I just started at Vos, and I thought, well, you know, Brian is the principal of Vos, and he's also now my boss, so I probably should go. There was a welcoming of new students. And so I went, and I'm sitting there, and, and during the service, they took up an offering to support Vos, and it's a wonderful ministry. We should support it. But they took up an offering and some one up the front had a bright idea to say, look, we're going to take up this offering and I just want you to pray and ask God to give you a number in your heart to, that you'd like to give. And so, you know, being the good new Vos student, I decided I'd do that, not really expecting anything. And, and I just felt God saying $1,000. And I thought, really? Seriously? I was still trying to work out how I was going to make ends meet. I was saying to God, look, God, I have just said yes to you and taken a seriously big pay cut to step out of my law firm and into here. 
and you want to give me a, yeah, a thousand bucks. Um, but he kept poking me. And so I got the credit card slip out and I, I wrote a thousand dollars and I sort of <clears throat> begrudgingly put it into the thing. Coincidentally, well not coincidentally, but over the next three weeks I got two checks back from the ATO that I hadn't been expecting that actually amounted to $1,100. I got the first one back and it amounted to $700. I thought, that's great, God, but I actually gave 1000 You know, where's the rest? At that point, I'd actually received two envelopes and had forgotten to open one, and the other one was the, the balance. I was put back in my box. Sorry, God. But the moral of me telling this story is not that when we give to God, He gives it back. The moral is after a number of years of following Jesus more closely, I, I think about that moment differently. See, at the time, I was thinking, really? Come on. Isn't it enough? Now I view it as a God who loves me and wants to set me free of the stuff that entangles me. And he said, come on, come a bit closer. See, see what happens when you give. Because I want to set you free. I want to set you free. And I think having some, some disciplines in giving can be really good. I think for personally, we... we Seek to tithe 10%. And it just goes out of the bank as, as one of those disciplines that I just commit to. And I think it's a really good discipline because it, it not because the, we have to, we could argue plus or minus, but, but because it just says I'm, I'm, I'm refusing to be dependent. I'm going to just set aside some of my income and give it to God as, as an act of worship, as an act of saying, this is not all mine, it's all from you anyway. I think another great discipline is just to make sure that we're somewhere in our lives we are serving in an area that hasn't got to do with us. Whether it be in the church or whether it be elsewhere, that we are serving in ways that are not about me. And I think these sorts of disciplines, these sorts of practices are really important for us to help us lean into this path of following Jesus. But I think there's a more profound way that we can also live, not instead of, but also. See, every day we can pray, Lord, would you keep my family safe? Lord, would you help me at work? Uh, would you help me catch the bus? Um, Lord, Jono's sick, can you pray for him? But if we are truly understanding that God is at the centre of the frame of our picture, and he calls us on a journey of following him, can we perhaps pray, Lord Jesus, all that I am and all that I have is yours. All my time and all my money and all my energy and all my relationships are yours. Lord, if there is anyone that you're wanting me to bless today, if there is anyone that you're wanting me to be generous to today, if there is anything that you're wanting me to give to or to spend time with, Lord Jesus, this day is your day. And I'm your kid. And you are free to tell me to follow you wherever you want today. That starts to step into an understanding of what we say when we become a Christian, we give our life to Jesus. I think that's something that we can do every single day. 
I think the disciplines are really important because they remind us they're just practices that we lock in as disciplines of our life to orientate us back towards Jesus. But rather than saying, well, we need to give, how much do I give? Or how many hours should I serve? Or, or how heavy does the cross need to be? Or who is my neighbour? What about if we said, Lord Jesus, it is your life that I want. I, 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 don't, I don't want to drag my feet. I want to follow you. And this day today is yours. My time is yours. My money is yours. My family is yours. Wherever you tell me to go today, Lord Jesus, I'm in. I'm in. Then you see, the question is not about how much we should give. The question is how much he has given to us and how much we long to step into the life that he created. And he's not just setting you free. And he's not just setting me free. He's transforming the world. And we get to be a part of that as he works the mystery of his goodness and grace and entangles his people in the lives of those that do not yet know him. Do not be afraid, pleased to give you the kingdom. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, Father, you call us to follow you and you call us to love and you tell us to do it and you know that we can't. And so you take us on a journey where you set us free. Lord, Forgive me for the times that I look at that journey and think, really? Lord, forgive me for the ways in which I am at the centre of the picture and what it costs me is at the centre of the picture. Lord Jesus, I want something more vibrant at the centre of my life and that is you. I thank you, Lord, that you call us to follow you for your glory and for our benefit. For that is life. And Lord, I recognise that it is only to the extent that I give up my old self that I can truly step into all that you have opened for us. Lord Jesus, we want to be a community of disciples. We want to be a flourishing community of hope. Not because we're anything special, but because you are at the centre of our community. Lord, that we would be your disciples, loving and serving in this world. Lord, help us not to be afraid. Help us to see the treasure that you have gifted in yourself. And Lord, help us to follow you. And Lord, even as we sit, Lord, if there are places where we are challenged, if there are places where we're not letting go, if there are things that you're wanting to open up for us to do, would you just drop them into our heart?